Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Strength in the Numbers. Now as finance professionals, what part of the P&L springs to your mind when you think of lean? Is it cost cutting or revenue generation? In actual fact, lean is first about how do we provide the value that the customer is willing to pay for with the minimum amount of waste. So really it's a customer and revenue focused way of looking at the business. And for many finance professionals, this may come as a surprise. And for a lot of business people, sometimes lean is used as an excuse to cut costs. And these are just some of the topics that our guest mentor, Andrea Jones, and myself cover on today's episode. And the great thing about having Andrea on the show today is that she gives loads of practical examples that when you're listening to them, you'll see them playing on like cinema screens in your mind of where finance can actually better support the business, support initiatives like Lean or any other value creating initiatives and also help up. I mean, Andrea has many years consulting experience and is also a senior ops professional and she's loads of really great practical tips that us finance professionals can start running with straight away to be adding value, not just to ops, but also to the business on really important decisions that can help drive our businesses forward. And also there's a few things that we take for granted And what we do that could really help other members of our organization, particularly in operations. So look, loads of great advice in this episode. If you want to check out the detailed timestamp show notes of all the relevant topics we discuss and where they are in the podcast, please check out our website at sitnshow.com slash podcast slash 096. And if you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to recommend us to your friends, your colleagues, as well as anyone else who might benefit from some of the great lessons and examples that Andrea shares in this episode. So without further ado, over to Andrea and the show. Andrea, you know, you've had the pleasure of working a lot in the past at finance professionals in your role, and you're also trying to to drive good, sustained, profitable businesses as well. And you know, I thought it'd be interesting getting your perspective on the show, uh, given that, like, I, I saw a video you did with Steve Roswell, CFO University. So would you perhaps maybe mind sharing a bit of your background and your story with our audience? Sure, I'd be happy to. Thanks. So I have a an MBA and a master's in engineering from MIT Sloan. Prior to that, I was a process engineer at Intel. And then after I got those two degrees, I decided to go into consulting uh, on my own. And I did that for personal reasons as well as professional reasons. And I did that for about 10 years. And in that time frame, I consulted with multiple companies in the Portland, Oregon metro area on lean process improvement, project management, and trying to really optimize and improve their businesses for, for growth and revenue growth. And then now for the last year and oh, I guess a couple months, maybe 15 months or so, I've been the vice president of business operations for a pelletizer of hops here in the Pacific Northwest called Crosby Hop Farm. And we grow and produce hop products for the craft brewery industry around the world. So it's, it's super exciting and 
very fun and who doesn't love beer <laughs> yes i could second that definitely <laughs> <laughs> living in ireland so yeah there was, there was a few fascinating things in in there andrew i'd like to to explore further with you so you know you, you sort of said you're looking at lean optimizing business processes and i suppose more from the angle of revenue growth in finance i find lean is often used as an excuse to cut costs or take costs out of the business whereas you're coming at it more from an optimization and revenue growth perspective i think that's a very important distinction for finance professionals uh, to recognize but like i mean what are your thoughts about lean and how we in finance can learn and benefit from it absolutely well like you said i think lean has become what i would say a four-letter word in many organizations as soon as the floor hears that you're going lean they're all worried their jobs are going to get cut and that really decreases morale and motivation and if you look back to the original definition of lean from Womack and Jones back in the 80s, it was really focused on the customer. So it was how do you provide the value that the customer is willing to pay for with a minimum amount of what they would call waste in a system. But again, it focuses on what the customer wants and what the customer is willing to pay for. And that is really revenue based. So I think we all need to kind of take a step back and look at lean in its pure form is customer and revenue focused. But like, I suppose that's another thing as well is is that value could be probably a bit more intangible where costs, you know, you can see costs. I mean, in a lot of businesses, uh, costs come from staff, you know, generating the cost or equipment and so on, utilization and whatever. So in terms of value, like, are there any sort of baby steps we can take to try and get a better sense on putting the customer first as opposed to looking at a cost and activities? Sure, absolutely. And here's an example that I'm actually living through right now. So at, at Crosby Hop Farm, we are putting in a customer portal online. So, you know, everybody maybe has bought from Amazon. Uh, we want to be able to allow our customers to go online and purchase hops from us. We already do that uh, in what we call the spot market, which is like an off-the-shelf market. But most of our customers have contracts with us. And so they've contracted for a certain uh, amount of product every year for the next couple of years. And right now, if they order from us, they have to either call us or email us. And it goes through this, you know, back and forth over email or phone back end with our customer service team. So we want to put forward a, a portal on the Internet so that they can place those orders and see their positions online. And I'm having an interesting discussion between the sales director and the controller right now as to what is more important. Is it the customer focus and making the user experience super smooth or is it automating all of our back-end fulfillment. And we don't actually necessarily worry about, you know, what the customer wants. So I do think that they're, both of those are valid points, but the controller is saying we need to cut costs because if we can get this order fulfillment completely automated, then we don't have to have as many people on the back-end doing it, right? But the sales guy is like, I don't really care about that, and neither does the customer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, I do believe that there is a good marriage there and we are really working on articulating when do we focus only on the customer and what the customer sees. And then, you know, the customer probably is not willing to pay for some of that back end, back and forth that we currently do. So there is a great opportunity too, if you will cut costs, but to optimize our flow and standardize our flow in the back end as well. But I think that the, the finance professional is really approaching it from the ROI only whereas a sales professional is approaching it from the uh, customer's standpoint. And I am trying to navigate both of those things and articulate what's both best for the customer, will generate revenue for the company, and try to, you know, maybe save some of the redundant work or the rework in the back end 
without saying, oh, but we're going to have to cut all these people, right? If I go that to that customer service team and I'm saying to them, we're going to automate everything you do and you're going to be out of a job in a year. Well, mm. how likely are they to help with this project in that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, because, like, yeah, with our finance hats on, if we're coming at it as a cost-saving exercise, you know, we might never get such such initiatives off the ground, which are actually ultimately benefit the customer and put us in a more sustainable right. position. So exactly. probably a bit more, yeah. You know, I also think from the the ROI perspective, we can keep the people that we have, and this is where I want the controller to see we we at Crosby do still have some some value add that the back end can do that it would be very hard to code into a, a system and so I just think it's ability to scale right we've got a certain number of people we're not planning on losing them we're planning on keeping them but we're going to add volume and revenue and keep their workload approximately the same that's the goal right yeah yeah I I, I do agree with you I I do find having worked with a number of, of, of larger companies, um, we, we seem to be a bit fast to to let experienced people go that we've perhaps um, how do you say invested a lot in over the years, and and use them to take on that extra extra workload that comes from optimizing processes. Because ultimately, if we undertake activities that customers value, then in theory there should be more business. Um, that, that's that's the thinking goes. So ultimately, we'll need that extra capacity to to handle the workload, the extra volumes, as you said. I think it's more of a mindset shift, I, I suppose, from a from a finance perspective. How do we get people to 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 see to see that? And and rather, you know, it's one of those things like um, how how can we get them to see it in the numbers or to see it straight off? Mm-hmm. Right. It's definitely mm-hmm. a mindset thing for sure. Yeah, so so that's so. I guess there's another area, I suppose, associated with your with your work because you probably work with a lot of operational KPIs, Andrea. You know how how do I mean? How can we, from a finance perspective, is there anything we can be doing to help help you know operations folk or or how do you say um, better understand your needs so we can do um, do a better job supporting operations? Yeah, that's a really great question, and thank you for asking. I feel like there is such a partnership that may not be as utilized as it could be. So just the other day, uh, we are working on our budget cycle for this fiscal year in our business. And we produce hops and they're a, uh, a product that needs to be processed relatively quickly because they are light sensitive, heat sensitive, moisture sensitive. And when you pick them off the vine, they really need to get put into this pellet format, which is what we sell, like I said, to 95% of brewers. That's what they use. Um, and we put them in a uh, an oxygen depleted environment and we put them in mylar bags so they don't see the light and we stick them in 28 degrees Fahrenheit cold storage so that they're you know frozen and we need to kind of do that within about six months of picking them so I was talking to our accounting manager the other day about how we were going to run the seasonal shift in the mill which is the production facility for these hops and saying hey you know I could run these crews I've got two crews instead of running two eight-hour shifts five days a week I could run two 10-hour shifts five days a week and I could get done that much faster, you know, about 20% faster. And that would finish out this production season earlier than we originally anticipated. But of course, it would cost me overtime to do that. And, you know, how, well, how does that affect the budget? How would it, that affect um, the overall picture? And he told me, you know, anytime you can get done with the production earlier, that's a positive variance to the budget because of how we um, account for labor into our inventory cogs. But he told me if we use overtime to be the driver of that, that will eat up all of our positive variance. And I thought, gosh, 
that's a very good piece of information for me to have because it doesn't actually affect the quality just that 20%. I could go 20% longer in the season and still have the same quality of our product. But knowing that if I pulled it in, it doesn't actually help the budget if I'm using overtime to do it, even though I'm maybe letting people, you know, the seasonal workers go a bit earlier. Um, it doesn't actually help the budget to do that. And I felt like that was something I'm really glad he told me. If I hadn't brought that up to him, he probably wouldn't have told me that. You know, so I'd love to see finance professionals be a little more proactive. And if they understand what's happening in operations, how operations is being run, what uh, manpower and equipment and capacity and utilization is being used to drive that production, then they can make more informed recommendations to that team. So, so what you're saying, uh, Andrea, in a way, is that like, you know, I think most operations people would be open to receiving recommendations from their finance uh, partners or the finance controllers. I should certainly hope so. I mean, we're all yeah. to have a, a profitable <laughs> exactly. business that's a going concern, you know, and everybody wants their jobs. And if we do better then most companies are very open to extra bonuses and things like that, you know, so I would hope so. And I guess one other interesting point that you nuance there or imply is yeah. <laughs> talking to the top person, talking to the top person in ops, right? Like I'm a VP and I try very hard to stay connected all the way down my organization, but that might not always be true. So I would say to the finance professionals, if they're talking to VP of ops, making sure that that VP is waterfalling the information down to the floor level supervisor who's deciding on the fly, do I work this shift over time or do I wait and do the rest of it tomorrow? You know, and what implications that has. Yeah, because because I think like similar, similarly with um, finance, ops has a very good perspective across the business in terms of what's going on broadly and also within particular areas. So it's, um, and I think it's another strength of finance is the ability to connect the dots and make sure that the messages are, are getting out there and we can sort of see what's happening then in the numbers and then relaying that back. So, I mean, by having those conversations, I do believe that we'd all be the better for actually understanding where value is driven from and, and therefore where the numbers are coming from. So it makes complete sense. I was just trying to dispel a myth that or, or trying to eliminate some fear that people will tell you to get lost or go away. Most people <laughs> would actually like, yeah, most people would actually appreciate good, solid recommendations. But I think the step first is, as you alluded to, uh, Andrea, is actually probably... Uh, finance actually are trying to understand the operational KPIs, trying to understand the business, the challenges, what people have and what it is that they want, and then figure out recommendations based on meeting those types of needs. Yes. Um, I'm just going by the way you sort of structured your answer, you know, starting <laughs> with that first. So, Well, so. that's a good point too, and a distinction. And I think I, I have another example that speaks to that. Um, a few years ago, when I was still consulting, I was working with a client on their strategic plan. And I asked a whole bunch of questions around their metrics, around their numbers, around their cash flow, around their inventory turns and their capacity and their utilization on the floor. And I started gathering that information with their controller. And she actually didn't know how to calculate inventory turns or what their capacity or utilization was on the floor. And so again, to, to the point of seek first to understand, let's, let's try to gather that data. And the operations manager, he knew all of those numbers. <laughs> You know, but it was yeah. interesting to me that that information was not being discussed with the accounting professional who's helping mm. work up the budget and trying to determine whether the company can sustain increased sales and, and growth without adding you know, capital expense. So we worked on those things together and everybody was was 
you know, happier because of it, seeking first to understand each other's areas and then making those recommendations, like you say. Yeah, that, that's one of my favorite bits of advice ever, seeking first to understand. So I, I guess that's from like Dale Carnegie's How, How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> Love that um, book. <laughs> yeah, same, same favorite one of all time. Mm. Um, still read every year. But there was um, the, the, there was an insight there. I just wanted to question, is, was that an established business that where, yes. where you were there? Yep, yeah, established business. Because mm-hmm. what continually amazes me is that you just people just assume that these conversations happen. If a business is established, it means it's been around a while and these conversations happen. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are happening. So there's great opportunity for finance and ops to be coming together to to explore these areas to actually add extra value for the business and understand how um, how things happen in the business, drive the numbers and what we need to do within the remit of the numbers to get the most out of the business as well or where to invest and so on. So you know, I think there's still a great opportunity whether business is new or established for finance and ops to be talking more with each other. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll give a bit of a plug to Steve Roswald and CFO.University because, <laughs> I mean, one thing I know they're seeking to do, and I read on your site as well, is to help uh, educate the finance, finance professionals in different areas of the business. And, you know, something Steve told me a while ago that really resonated, and it was true in this case, that controller had been at that business for 15 years and came up from a bookkeeper. And I think that that probably happens more often than not. It happens in operations as well. You know, somebody's a floor shift supervisor. They're good at managing people in production and getting the output out, but they not necessarily have they gone through the, you know, MBA accounting and finance coursework. So we need to help educate each other as we move up in these companies and um, not assume, like you just said, that just because somebody's in a certain position that they have this information, even if the business is established and they've been around for 15 years. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see in, in the comments, but like how many finance professionals, how many of us have been guilty of just assuming people just get the numbers or just get what a profit, loss or an income statement looks like or just get it and then vice versa? in terms of the people around them thinking oh they just assume that they, they know their stuff mm-hmm. um that's that's the great thing about getting out there and having conversations it's a great opportunity to learn so again encouraging finance professionals ops professionals just to get out there and and try and understand first what uh, people's challenges are and what it is they really know so we don't we can figure out what we don't know and maybe even where we can help so great bits of advice there andrea I, before we sort of move off, I do want to discuss with you perhaps maybe what's exciting you most about your current work. Gosh, there's so many exciting things. It's hard <laughs> to really on just one. Uh, we we just put in an ERP system this past fiscal year. We oh. did a screaming fast system implementation in about four months. Uh, and I was so proud of our team. Um, we're certainly working out some of the kinks. And I would say, you know, I, we didn't do that because we were trying to be lean and fast and cut costs. We were doing it because we needed to have it in place before we hit our season of uh, production. <laughs> and so the opportunity was to lay this foundation and, and have some baseline time with the system before we really hit this critical peak. And that was a good message to the team, I will say, uh, to tell them, hey, you know, we're doing this fast because we want to give you time in the new system before we get into crazy town harvest and production season. And so people were a little stressed, I would say over the summer. Um, but they really rallied around that call. And so again, it wasn't, we're trying to cut costs and do this fast so we don't have to pay our consultants for too long. 
<laughs> You've caught it. I can, those bills rack up fast. Yes. <laughs> Although that definitely helped, but, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was, how can we do this so that we can poise the company to really launch and, uh, increase revenue. And one thing we're carrying on on that now, as I mentioned earlier, is this portal. We couldn't have done it if we didn't have the ERP in place. So that's very exciting. Yeah, of course. And uh, yeah. this season, we also put in a whole bunch of new equipment in the production line so that our bottleneck is no longer the ability to produce um, packages. Uh, before, we, mm -hmm. we were handbagging things, and now we are putting them through a packaging line, which has increased capacity. And again, we're not actually cutting heads. We're just out now able to produce. We're planning to grow the amount of production 50% this year, and we're able to do wow. that without cutting heads, but also without adding heads. Uh, and that's so, cry for us. Uh, so, so look, I, I think this is another area of opportunity for finance. There's, there's generally bottlenecks around the business. There's always areas they can do slightly better. Like how how do you get um, approval or sign off for investment in those things to reduce bottlenecks or increase capacity? Because all all an accountant might see or finance professional might see is dollars going out the door. Like mm -hmm. how how do you engage to make those things happen or how do those things come about? Well, some of our listeners might not be aware, you know. You know, a favorable economy certainly helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, and I think that those times need to be taken advantage of, right? We are looking at a growing economy, at a growing business, and so now is the time to get things in place. Um, my one of my good advisors just told me the other week that he is advising all of his executives to consider the next downturn. So, what are we putting in place now to weather that storm? Um, and I think some of these things are what we're doing. We want to be able to spend now and get ready for this future where we might not be able to spend on some extra things, but we want to maintain the people that we have and the abilities that we have. Um, but I think, I think when an ROI is presented, the revenue needs to be really highlighted and the focus needs to be there and the alternatives can be discussed. If we don't put in something that allows us to scale or grow or have a foundation for this new customer facing item, how will we do it? Because that picture can often be somewhat ugly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so yeah. You know, rather than just saying, here's what it's going to cost to do this amazing thing, it's here's what it's going to cost if we don't do this amazing thing. Yeah, see, this is, this is an, another bugbear of mine. And it's this opportunity cost that you've just highlighted. It's it's the cost of looking at actually not doing something. Mm -hmm. You know, what's that going to impact you? You know, and it's also things like what's the cost of not getting ready for the next downturn? I know it's a very morbid way of looking at it. I but know, right? Someone needs to be asking those questions, <laughs> you know, because, you know, like um, we all know that econ economic cycles are not linear. They're cyclical. So things come back around again. It's just a question of when. Exactly. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, no, it's, it's just like taking a bit of real realism and practice, practical and trying to, to get it right and, and trying to implement it in the right way. And I think that's something we can do better as finance professionals is opportunity costs. So I think even the fact do you say just be aware that it exists allows us not to just continually focus on the cost of what we see in front of us, but the cost of not taking action right. as well. So Thank you. Yeah. And you probably hear me talking a lot about people and people worried about jobs. I, I'm a very people oriented person. If you've ever done the uh, disc analysis, I'm an I, which is that sort of personality based uh, person. But I think that um, we as leaders in companies and especially in finance where they have complete visibility to all of the money that's going in and out of this of the business 
have to be stewards for the whole business, right? There are people whose lives depend on the jobs they have for this business. And that is a big responsibility that can't be taken lightly. And they, the leaders of a business and all of the finance professionals need to take that seriously and look into the future to preserve that way of life for all of their employees. I really believe that so strongly. Um, and I think that's very important to remember. Yeah, great, great point, Andrea. Um, it's it's a massive responsibility in finance, but we have an opportunity to make a massive, massive difference as well if we if we do the right thing. So really appreciate making that point. Um, I'd love, I, I actually, continuing that theme of advice, that was a great bit of advice for us. What's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? You know, I was thinking about that question because you uh, let me know that you might ask it. Um, when I was at Sloan, I don't remember which professor and why it had not dawned on me to think this way before, maybe because I was an engineer, <laughs> that the language of business is money. And if you can't speak conversantly with that language, you're not going to be able to move up in an organization. So I think that was one, you know, maybe it sounds super basic. And yeah, I was in my 20s at the time, so I hadn't thought of it before. But that was a very good piece of advice. And I think especially in ops, people don't recognize that need to speak the language of money. And maybe in finance, people don't recognize that others don't quite know mm -hmm. that language super well. You know, and how can we bridge that gap? So that was a really great piece of advice for me that I've taken with me. Yeah, that, that is really good. Thanks for highlighting that because, again, it comes back to that assuming that people think on the same way we do. I mean, in, in finance, right, that's a great opportunity to help people. If you want to help people get ahead, help educate them on how to understand the language of a business because why do you think finance have access to the decision makers? Because we can translate what's going on into the language of business, which is the numbers, right? So, so like, if people want to get ahead and you're, and you're talking to people who actually have an aspirations of moving up in an organization, be it ops or a or wherever um there's an opportunity there to help them ready made that's right so you know that's a great bit of advice for our audience andreas thank you for that um now i know you mentioned the how to win friends and influence people earlier another favorite book of mine but do you have any other resources you can perhaps recommend for our audience yes you know i was giving a presentation yesterday on the book called your brain at work by david rock it's a book about how your neurological systems operate and the scientific reasons for maybe some of the things that we take for granted or think are common sense. For example, you know, maybe you've been in an all-day meeting where in the morning everybody's fresh, everybody's energized, we're coming up with great topics and we're having deep discussions and then after lunch everybody just kind of drags and you know you can't quite <laughs> again maybe till later in the afternoon. But uh one of the reasons for that is because our prefrontal cortex, which is the portion of our brain responsible for an executive function, is limited in its abilities and it cannot sustain long periods of intense thought. And that book talks about that reality and it also talks about um, how if you are triggered some, by something emotional, maybe in a conversation, maybe somebody says something that rubs you the wrong way and you start to get upset and angry in your head, all of the blood rushes to your limbic system, which is where your emotional center is, and away from your prefrontal cortex, which is where you're able to think logically. And you actually can't think, you physically can't think logically anymore. You have to move yourself out of that place. And it gives some great tactics and strategies to do that. Um, so I thought that book from a here is how your brain physically and scientifically functions and how you can apply that in your life 
for the best and optimal results was a really great read I would recommend to anybody. Oh, fantastic. Well, well you just sold me on it there, Andrea. <laughs> I, I love I love trying to understand how the mind and the brain work. So that's a that's that's one I'd be checking out for sure. Uh, and I suppose, look, if uh, any of our audience would like to continue the conversation, what's the best uh, place to find you at? Well, I am available at my consulting website, which I've maintained that business, which is andreajonesconsulting.com. And there's email and, and phone for me there. And um, I'm on LinkedIn, Andrea Jones. I think I'm the only or the main Andrea Jones on LinkedIn <laughs> in Portland, <laughs> Oregon. And I am always happy to answer LinkedIn requests. I would rec- recommend somebody put an actual note in there, like I heard you on Andrew's podcast or something. So they're not coming out of the blue. <laughs> Those are the best ways. Excellent. No, so thanks, thanks, Andrea. Thank you so much. And um, I, I, I guess I suppose you, you've given us great advice, but like any parting thoughts there now for our audience about maybe areas we could, any other areas we could look to look to improve upon or do better in to uh, to help serve ops or any other communities out there? I think just reiterating that conversation piece and that seek to understand, like you and I discussed so much, um, finance has such a tool set that especially people in ops don't have and might not recognize we don't have, which is that language of money and the ability to see the numbers. And if if you you in finance can understand how the operations really work, then to help make recommendations that will help the business be more profitable and sustainability in the future. So just reiterating that, I think is all my main takeaway. Awesome. Andrea, thank you so much. Thank you for being such a, a great guest and sharing with us uh, thoughts on, on lean, how we can actually add more value to the business. Some great examples as well. And I love the, I love the one about the hops and how they, they, they move through the process and also the, the, the touching on the points about bottlenecks. So thank you so much about for that. And just thank you for coming on our show today and being such a great guest. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm very flattered. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.